Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Moving Right Along, a Muppet movie podcast brought to you by ToughPigs.com. It's the podcast where we watch The Muppet Christmas Carol two minutes at a time and talk about it a lot. I'm your host, Anthony Strand. And I'm your other host, Ryan Rowe. And today we're back for another episode. We are joined by our first guest of the season. Who is it? It's me, Julia Gaskell. It's you. Julia Gaskell from ToughPigs.com. From ToughPigs.com, the very same site. Hi. Hi, welcome back. So you were you were our last guest on Muppets Take Manhattan. I was, so, yeah. I was I was the very last guest, and now I'm y'all's very first guest for this season. I'm really excited. Yeah, well, we wanted to have you on because you're such a you're like Tough Pigs resident. I mean, we obviously we wanted to have you on because we always have you on because you're you're a delightful person. <laughs> yes. But we wanted to have you on right away for this one because it, you're like our resident gonzo expert on mm-hmm. Tough Pigs. And this is the Gonzo movie. It, it Well, it's, yeah, one of, like, several Gonzo movies that are going to pop up for y'all as you go through the movies in order. But this is kind of the first time we really get to see Gonzo, like, take center stage for one of their films. Uh, up until now, he's really kind of just been, you know, Kermit's sidekick. Uh, and this is kind of ushering in the the era post-Jim Henson when they're really trying to figure out, like, how can we still, like, make the Muppets work without, like, you know maybe Kermit like having as big of a presence just yet. And uh, the answer is Gonzo and yeah, Rizzo. All over this. That duo. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. So we are talking about, we are talking about minutes three and four, I should say of a Muppet Christmas, the Muppet Christmas Carol. In these minutes, we see the rest of the opening credits. And as Julia alluded to, we meet our two narrators. So first let's talk about the rest of the credits. Uh, first we see director of photography, John Fenner who did not have a long career as a DP, mostly other Muppet stuff. He did Storyteller Jim Henson Hour episodes. Uh, he did Muppet Treasure Island, and and Brian Henson used him again on Jack and the Beanstalk, the real He story. had also worked on so, uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, which had Henson Creature Shop uh, characters in it. Oh, right, yeah. So that's our guy, John Fenner. <laughs> and the kind of the only other thing I could find about him is that IMDb has a very cheerful photograph of him and Brian Henson together. Aw, that's nice. Was, oh, nice. <laughs> maybe we'll, I guess they liked working together. They must have, yeah. I mean, he was him on that jacket. And we should also... Stock, maybe, you know? Yeah, exactly. We should also just say last week, I think, we, we agreed that this one might be the best-looking Muppet movie. So that a lot of the credit for that goes to John. It Fenner. is a really good looking Muppet movie as I'm sure y'all talk we'll talk about it like as you go through this entire season but it's really well shot yeah yeah for sure and that's also the and it is also well paced thanks to film editor Michael Jablo the next credit uh who also is exactly. back from 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 Out Treasure Island we'll see so much of the crew stayed together for the two movies but yeah I guess it makes sense when they're shooting them both in England and might as well bring the same crew back. They're also together. pretty back to back. Isn't it like 94 for Christmas Carol and am I make, mixing up the years 96 for Treasure Island? Yeah, it's, ni- it's 92 and 96. 96. Okay. It's still very close together. 92 it's still- 96 but, but but also December 92 and February 96. So really okay. it's more like 3. Years, oh yeah. You know. Yeah, so still pretty close together. Right. My, uh, I was going to say Michael Jablo also edited a favorite of mine, Can't Hardly Wait, my favorite movie in eighth grade. Cannot nice. be my favorite movie in eighth grade. And uh, That's I, interesting. I, that was a favorite of mine when it came out, too. I was a little closer to the age of the characters in that movie. Right. But You, you, were, you could just relate to Ethan Embry, and he was aspirational for me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I've never seen Can't Hardly Wait. <laughs> that's, 
that's fine. You're an adult. Like you don't you don't need to. Well, you know, it's a it's a it's a time capsule at this point, and like it just has a ton of teen actors. I've I've heard a lot. I've listened to podcast episodes that have talked in depth about it. I've just never made my way to it. I think I was probably a little too young when it came out. Sure. Sure. Well, let's. My wife Roz is watching through Buffy again for the for the x x number Ooh. of time yeah and there are so many guest stars because because Kennedy wait is a movie that is like a very packed teen like senior grad party there are so many right. guest stars who i'll just be like oh if she was in Kennedy wait he was in Kennedy like it's i say it out loud so often while watching buffy because they just both needed a ton of teen actors at the same time totally yeah but we're not talking about buffy we're talking about muppet christmas carol and well, he also, I wanted to mention, he also edited, um, among other things, Throw Mama from the Train, The Naked Gun, Boomerang, um, New York Minute, starring the Olsen twins. Nice. Uh, she's, she's the man, the uh, Amanda Bynes uh, movie that is surprisingly good. It, it is. That's it. I was going to say, I've seen New York Minute and I've seen the, the Amanda Bynes film. That's, that falls more into to my timeline of watching right. movies as a kid. Yeah. Uh, and then also the movie Mom and Dad Save the World, which is a really weird sci-fi movie that very was in, in theaters very, very briefly and flopped. But it also has a bunch of uh, puppets and creatures in it um, because it's about a suburban mom and dad who get kidnapped by aliens and taken to another planet. So there's all kinds of weird creatures in that. So um, a lot of these crew members good at uh, at working with puppets. Yeah. It's a good quality to have for the Muppets. For sure. Well, and speaking of good at working with puppets, the next two credits are co-producer Jerry Jewell and executive producer Frank Oz. And then screenplay. I'm by loving Jerry these, these segues. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, I just want to keep it. I want to try to keep it interesting. Yeah, yeah. You know? Y'all like, have it down yeah, to a um, science. You're on like <laughs> moving four now. <laughs> That's the thing, yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's co-producer Jerry Jewell, executive producer Frank Oz, and then screenplay by Jerry Jewell. That's like the Henson Brain Trust here, right? Like, mm-hmm. as as far as we know, those two guys are kind of in charge of making sure that this feels like the old Muppet stuff. Yeah. And other than Jerry Nelson, they are the longest tenured uh, employees of Jim Henson Productions at this point. Well, and both, both slightly more than Jerry, right? Jerry took over for Frank yeah. when he joined the Army. And, right, yeah. and Jerry Jewell had been there already. He yeah. came a little bit later. Yeah. Um, and, and speaking of Jerry Jewell, this is the only Muppet movie on that only credits one writer. Out of all eight films, this is the only one with oh. one screenwriter credit. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't yeah. think that. Several of them have two, right? It's it's Jerry <laughs> Jewell and Jack Burns on the Muppet movie. The two newer ones right. are Jason Siegel and Nick Stoller, James Bobin and Nick Stoller. But this is the only one where it's just one guy, and it's so fitting, I think, that it's Jerry Jewell, right? Yeah. Sure. You know, it makes sense they would put a lot of trust in him, you know, to do, like, the first movie, Sans Jim, like, just right. on his own, because he obviously had so much experience, the tenure that he had with the Muppets. Yeah. And it's such a it's such a good script, I think. Like, I know we'll get into it, obviously, a lot, but it's just such a delight from beginning to end. Like, And you can feel that he had so much fun adapting the book. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So next one is produced by Brian Henson and Martin G. Baker. We'll talk more about Brian Henson and Martin G. Baker. We've also talked about in the past because he produced all kinds of Muppet stuff, starting with the Muppet show and ending with the 2011 movie. It's a good long time. 
it is a long time. And I don't think we really know too terribly much about him, right? Like I've never seen an interview with him. I don't, I don't know who he is. I don't know what he's like at home. Um, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, I guess not. Yeah. I recognized his name when it came up, but I didn't know exactly where I recognized it from. Just probably seeing it in credits for other projects. Right. Right, yeah, it does pop up a lot. And then the last credit is directed by Brian Henson, who we've already talked about last week. We'll talk about him more. Uh, his, As we said, his directorial debut, he's 29 years old here. Yeah. So young. Yeah. He never directed anything before this movie. What an ambitious first film to direct. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, really. It's There's so many camera tricks and puppet it's tricks. A, and a Muppet period piece. <laughs> Right, yeah, and like just to, to to sustain that tone, like to make it feel like a Christmas Carol and a Muppet movie as well as it does. I don't. I, I think we kind of take for granted how impressive it is at this point. You know, like this movie could so easily have been a disaster. Oh yeah, and it's so good. Totally, yeah. So, anyways, that's any other thoughts about the credits before we move on? You you saying specifically the credits that? Yeah, the credits. I'll go back. And, okay, yeah. Right, no, that's that's all I got, I think, for the the actual things. Yeah, I just I, I just thought we should get through them all and then go back and talk about before uh Brian Henson and Martin G. Baker's credit, we pan down to the city, which is bustling with people. There's a very cool uh, transition there where we go from the miniatures of the like the London skyline to an actual full sized ish set uh, you know a building on the set and it's really seamless like i went back several times to see if i could see like a line moving across the screen or something i can see where it happens but i can't see like exactly when it happens or or, or how it happens huh. yeah i couldn't pick yeah. it out either but i love that first opening shot because yeah we've really only kind of seen the roofs up till now and then it just pans yeah. out and you see this like overhead shot of the little town square and it's interesting because the very first time we see it i'm sure that they're there but you don't you kind of mostly see the people and not the muppets and then it starts panning down and then you get the little ink spot eating the carrot and then you get into the actual square and then you suddenly see the incorporation <laughs> of the people and the muppets and i think it's it's framed so well it's like a, i don't know it's just such a cool first shot of the film yeah well and like you say especially that ink spot on the roof which uh, for listeners who might not know, ink spots are these little brown creatures from Fraggle Rock who sing backup in many Fraggle Rock songs. Uh, and there's just one sitting on the roof having a snack, and that's the first Muppet we see in this movie. And that's yeah. so fun. It's it's such a great choice. Yeah. And I, yeah, I do love that, like Julia says, it, it comes right after we catch just a glimpse of a crowd full of human actors. But then it's like, surprise, this is a Muppet movie. Here's a, a little Muppet creature. Right. And then it gets even more Muppety because the first clear dialogue we hear is two British pigs played by Jerry Nelson and Dave Goals. It really makes it feel like a Muppet movie to hear Jerry Nelson and Dave Goals, like these two familiar voices from the Muppet show, just having a chat about being British and being pigs, you know? <laughs> yeah. And the fact that it's pigs sort of is a, like an early clue that this the world of this movie is, I guess, more akin to the world of the Muppet show than the movies that we've seen before, the first three movies, because in those, it's all kind of like the Muppets are entering the real world, which is mostly occupied by humans, and occasionally they'll come across another Muppet who will sort of, like, join forces with them. But this is a totally different, like, it's kind of a more of a fantasy world where humans and Muppets are pretty much 
equal, just yeah. existing side by side. Right. Yeah. And the previous three films, like the first shots have of of the Muppets, the introduction of the Muppet characters have been kind of more characters that we're familiar with, right? Like it's Gonzo, well, Kermit, and Fozzie in the balloon. It's mm-hmm. them, on, unless I'm not remembering correctly, but like in Muppets Take Manhattan, it's them on the stage, right? Performing. Correct. Yeah. Right. And but, then I guess there's the, but in, there's the big auditorium in, in, in the Muppet movie, obviously, but there's a lot more right. like kind of familiar faces. Well, right. Although the first Muppet we see in the Muppet movie is Dog Lion walking across the lot, weirdly. That, that, but you really have to be looking That's true. For them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then it's, and then it's Statler and Waldorf, who, like you say, are very familiar, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. Anyone going to see that movie. They, you know, they, they they roll down their window and say they're there to see it. That's true. That is them in the car, like going to the studio to see the movie. Um, yeah, but in this one, you're right that it's it's so much more just like these aren't the Muppets, like kind of like you know going into doing their story. It's more like here is this world that we are like introducing you to, and there are Muppets and people like interacting with one another. Yeah, right. We got some vegetables who yell, "Help! I'm being stolen!" And mm-hmm. the driver tells them to quiet down. Yeah. So with with the I think that was ahead of lettuce. <laughs> Would the lettuce be okay with it if he was being purchased for sale? Is it just the fact that he's being <laughs> stolen that he objects to? Do you think he's even being stolen? Like he's in he's clearly in a vegetable cart, not like someone's carriage. Yeah, but there's a there's a human actor like grabbing him and, oh, okay. and jumping oh, off the I cart. Oh, I missed yeah. the the mel- was it a melon or lettuce? I couldn't tell, but I missed him actually getting <laughs> stolen off of the cart. I just thought they were yeah, objecting but- to like being sold. Yeah, Be- no, yeah, there right. is a human grabbing something. I think it's lettuce, but it could be a melon. I really don't know for sure, but yeah, yeah. So- something is happening. Mm-hmm. So then we we pan past a bunch more Muppets engaging in various antics. I how, how do you two feel about this sequence? Because I think it's so much fun. It's just like so much fun seeing like just the mashup of what Muppets are there. Like Sprocket's there throwing a snowball. And I love seeing Sprocket wearing like a little like outfit and just have He's wearing clothing. Yeah, yeah. interacting with other puppets, um, you know, because we're so used to him just interacting with one of the docks um, and occasionally Fraggles. So yeah, it's just, it's nice just to see like a, just a big mashup of all of these like characters who often are like minor or background characters and suddenly they get to make up this whole little town. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, and I, I think the first named Muppet who says anything in this movie is Droop. Mm-hmm. Hey, what a, what about my nose? Then he gets it like and, smashed in the window. <laughs> yeah, which is so funny. <laughs> and it's and it's Jerry Nelson doing the same Droop voice from season one of the yeah. Muppet Show and the Valentine special. Yeah, like it's 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 the character Droop. It's not just some puppet. That, that kind of thing is story. such a thrill for us Muppet nerds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Big time. And, and, you know, we see our old buddy, the turkey, who there's just like a street vendor selling a live turkey. And it's the turkey from Muppet Family Christmas with no sunglasses on, which makes him look very different. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So when when the vendor pushes the turkey back down into the cart, does he says something like, get back down there, Martin? Did, did you I hear just, that? I did not hear it. <laughs> I did not hear that at all, no. I, I wondered if that was a little sort of like, inside joke shout out to martin baker that's possible yeah very probable yeah naming a turkey after Mm -hmm. him right and then we see another street vendor lou zealand who says who who says i throw the fish away and they come back to me here which is great yes what a guy great to see him love to see lou zealand (laughs) yeah um um what's going on with the 
there's a bunch of Muppets sort of sitting like on this, the, the upper floors of some of these buildings. There's a little frog tugging on a chicken. What's happening with that? Is he trying to steal an egg from the chicken? I couldn't I tell. I, yeah. so, but do, do we think that Sprocket is like defending that chicken by throwing a snowball at the frog? Cause that's basically what I, he does. That's sort of, yeah, that's sort of the impression I got. That is when Spr- Sprocket throws the snowball, yeah. Yeah, I guess Sprocket's I kinda like, the frog was trying to steal the chicken or something, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of what I think, too, yeah. Frog just wants to eat chicken real bad. Oh, okay, he's trying to just, like, pull the chicken yeah, down and, and run it. off. He Possibly, loves, yeah. Yeah, all right. Chickens, yeah. There's also, I couldn't tell exactly which, which Muppet it was, but, like, someone just dumps banana peels out of a window. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I love yeah. that. I think that's just like kind of a, a random fracture mm-hmm. and, and just kind of shouts out. <laughs> Which I'd never <laughs> noticed before, but I watched this clip like multiple times and I was like, I love it. It's great. It's just banana yeah. peels. Yeah. No explanation. And that's what they did in those days. They would just throw their garbage out mm-hmm. the window. I guess. But specifically banana peels. <laughs> yes, banana peels. Well, and we also get one of my favorite puppets is in this scene. And I don't know what its name is. Maybe one of you knows. It's that like w- witch wizard looking thing has like a long nose and a, a little goatee yeah, yeah i know the exact one. muppet wiki yep. calls yeah. that the beggar oh the beggar yeah because yeah because he appears in this movie holding a little cup like he's begging have we seen like, that puppet before like on the muppet show or in another production i don't think so i think okay. this is the first think- appearance yeah, he he does show up again in Muppet Treasure Island and and probably some other things later down the line. Yeah, I, I couldn't remember yeah. if I'd ever seen him like in an earlier thing, um, or if he was created for this. So I guess that's that would be the case. Okay, right. I think. Yeah. See, um, I mean the the no the wiki says who first appeared in Muppet Christmas Carol. Yeah, yeah. yeah there are some cool, just sort of like slightly weirder <laughs> new Muppets built for this, but they still look like Muppets, kind of shaggy looking characters and scruffy mm-hmm. looking characters that really fit in the the setting of the story yeah right yeah and uh, also in the in the making of special that aired on tv in 1992 they say there are 280 muppets in this movie i believe that that's not an exact number but still that's a lot there's a lot of yeah just like muppets in the background and in the town scenes and dance numbers so it makes a lot of sense yeah, yeah. yeah. right so but then finally, we come upon Gonzo and Rizzo selling apples at a table. Gonzo's trying to peddle their wares, Macintosh, Red Delicious. Um, although I'm not sure that there aren't more varieties of apples on the table, but some of these look an awful lot like, like Burns to me or, or uh, <laughs> Galas, maybe. But uh, <laughs> but they're they're excitedly selling them uh, tuppence a piece while they last. Yes, Rizzo says. So, this is what we do on this podcast, right? So, tuppence a piece. I started wondering, how much was that back then? How much would it be now? Um, so, tuppence is informal British for two pennies. Uh, it's two pence. Uh, so, they're selling these apples for two cents each in British currency. I got to wondering, naturally, how much would an apple cost in England today? How, how much have they been in fa- how much have they been affected by inflation since the 1840s so uh, I posed the question on social media I did not get an answer at first but then our tough pigs pal Martha Cornell had the great idea to tag our tough pigs pal Mar Dixon who lives in England and Mar was able to tell me that uh, at the local grocery store nearest her apples are currently selling for 40 pence each. 
So if I did the math right, and there's a very good possibility that I didn't, that means that apples have gone up 1,900% from the price that Rizzo is selling them for. So that's uh, quite a lot of inflation for apples there. Yeah, but I mean, is it though for 170 years? Like, <laughs> uh, I don't know. It might be reasonable for fruit. I don't know. Yeah, I don't I, know. I, I did not study uh, fruit inflation trends. Maybe I should have, <laughs> should have a little studied more time. that. <laughs> yeah. Rizzo starts eating an apple, and Gonzo chastises him for it. For it, asks him what he's doing. Rizzo insists that he's creating scarcity, which I think is so funny. That Rizzo is yeah, just he's trying to drive the prices up already. Get him closer to that forty pence price. He's going to eat, right? But then Gonzo notices us and says, hello, welcome to the Muppet Christmas Carol. Hello, which, Gonzo. Uh, the, that's the first time since the Muppet movie that they've said the title out loud, right? They don't, they don't say, come on, gang, the Muppets are taking Manhattan, right? Like, um, oh, no, Kermit says the great that... Muppet caper when the title comes up. Yes, yes. Yeah, right. So it's mm-hmm. just Manhattan. That's another, that's another way that Manhattan is... The most grounded and low-key, I guess. They don't say the title out loud. Yeah. That's right. And now I'm trying to think if they're going to say Muppet Treasure Island. Oh, the rats do. The rats say Muppet Treasure Island. But the rats I don't think say Muppet Treasure Island. Does. I don't think they say Muppets from Space. No. Probably not. No. They definitely say The Muppets. They say it 4,000 times in the film yes. The Muppets. <laughs> and I don't think they say Muppets Most Wanted because they say The Muppets again with The Muppets I, again. Right. Yeah. Because they changed the title and then they didn't fix it. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I I noted that the, that him saying "Welcome to the Muppet Christmas Carol" felt so formal, but I th- yeah, you're right that for the most part, this is a thing that they normally do, where they work the title in pretty early into the film. Yeah, just so yeah. You know exactly which Muppet film you're in. <laughs> right, exactly. It's hard so, to tell. does that mean that Gonzo and Rizzo, or maybe just Gonzo, knows that this is a movie, but nobody else in the movie does? Uh. Well, I think they both know it. I mean, Rizzo's right there with him the whole time, yeah. right? He, he like, starts chiming himself. in. We'll talk more about it in the next clip, but like Rizzo starts chiming in just like as well. I just don't think that he realizes that Gonzo's going to take on a whole new persona. Like they, right. he wasn't included on that one. Rizzo didn't come to rehearsal. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> he skipped that one. Um, but, and, and speaking of which, Gonzo tells us, the audience, that they're here to tell this. He says, I'm here to tell the story. Rizzo says... I'm here for the food, which is going to be true. We're going to see that both of those things are very. This accurate. is one of Rizzo's defining characteristics in this movie. Right. And then Gonzo says, my name is Chuck. And that's where we stop. We I wrote down on my note. I wrote down in my note that the clip cuts off here. Charles, what? Then a bunch of question marks. I thought maybe yeah. he was going to say, my name is Charo. <laughs> like he's the, the singer from all the variety shows. That's it. That's you think of Charo as a singer. That's very charming. I, well, I like what is that she to you? I, a personality. I don't know. She sings. Like she a, dances. A she does. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Variety show staple. That's who yes. got, who never never worked with the Muppets as far as yeah. I know. Why wasn't Charo despite on the Muppet like, show? That would that should have been a no-brainer. Like, yeah. The like one of the preeminent variety show guests of the late seventies. Yeah. It's weird. Exactly. But so, and any other thoughts about these two minutes? Before we move on. No, uh, I think, you know, it's pretty, it's a pretty simple standard. We like just start getting into kind of like more of the meat until it cuts off at the very end. Um, 
but I think, you know, yeah, it like intros us to kind of the world that we're going to be in. We see like all these Muppets interacting with humans. It's a lot more integrated than we've seen in previous films, I guess with the exception of the previous film where there were a bunch of rats working in a restaurant and that was totally cool for everybody. Um, And yeah, we, you know, it's a period piece. Uh, We're going to see, you know, Gonzo's going to be Charles Dickens, but we don't even really get super into that just yet. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I just have a couple of things that we kind of skimmed past. Um, the line where Dave Goals's pig says, uh, Jerry Nelson's pig says, that was a fine meal. What should we do now? Dave Goals's pig says, let's have lunch. Dave Goals has said that they ad-libbed that. That was not scripted, but it's very mm. funny. That's nice. Uh, as the camera is moving past the storefronts, the, the different buildings, one of them, you can read the sign. It's Duncan and Kentworthy booksellers. And that oh, is nice. a nod to Duncan Kentworthy, the producer of many Muppet and Henson projects, including Fraggle Rock, The Dark Crystal, The Tale of the Bunny Picnic, and The Storyteller. I don't know if we've talked about him at length on the podcast, um, but in looking him up on Muppet Wiki, I, I stumbled upon a proposed film project that I don't think I had ever heard of before. Have you ever heard of something that they referred to as the Italian film? No. No. So the wiki quotes an interview that Duncan Kentworthy did with television and radio age magazine in 1989. Um, He talks about that he and Jim Henson are developing a forthcoming theatrical film with the working title, the Italian film. It's a love story about an Italian girl who witnesses a miracle, which according to Kentworthy will not have any puppets, animatronics or anything else, which would identify it with Jim Henson. Interesting. So that's really interesting to hear that, that Jim himself was so interested in something like that. Yeah. And I kind of wonder how far a guy like, is, is there a script? Could they do a comic book adaptation like they did for tale of sand? Mm-hmm. So I'd love to know to know more about that. Yeah, that'd be great. That's all I got. Wait, okay, no, that's so not I- all I got. Okay, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> also, in that same sequence, when the camera is moving past those buildings and Muppets are sticking their heads out the windows, uh, Dave Goals said in that video we talked about last week uh, for the Oh My Disney website that he was inside that part of the set for some of these shots in a very small space, which he compared to being in a coffin. And at one point they finished shooting and everybody went to lunch and they forgot that he was there. So I've heard this story before. Yeah. Everyone just kind of wandered off to go to lunch and he's stuck in this coffin. So he just said he had to make a lot of noise until somebody heard him and let him out. The hazards of being a Muppet performer. It's terrifying. Yeah. Like genuinely. Um, So I mentioned last time that I'm going to track how the movie matches up with the novel, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. This one does not. There's nothing. There's there's nothing in this scene that is in the book (laughs) other than like the setting being London. Charles Dickens does not introduce himself in the book. He he does not. Although, as I said, he does do a brief prologue. All right. Um, But I just wanted to – can I share a couple of things that I read in The Annotated Christmas Carol by Michael Patrick Hearn that I think are fascinating? Sure, please. So, so first one is a review from The Spectator magazine when the book was new. That is such a, a fascinating description of the book, I think. So they were baffled at the nature of the story and said, instead of preaching a homily, he tells a ghost story, not a blood-freezing tale of horror, but a serial comic narrative in which the ludicrous and the terrible, the real and the visionary, are curiously jumbled together 
as in the phantasmagoria of a magic lantern. Hmm. Cool. Yeah, sounds great. Yeah, that, that's interesting. Buy a copy for five pence. Well, yeah, because uh, yeah, we don't really. It's hard for us to think about how because it's it's like it's a classic. It's been around forever, as far as we're concerned. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that is fascinating to think about. Like, all right, what's this? What's this nonsense that this Dickens guy is getting up to? Right. What's this? What's this Christmas Carol? Yeah. Um, so the fact that it would be perceived as what was it? Serial comic. Yes, a serial comic narrative. Yeah, because we don't really think of it as being a funny story as Dickens wrote it. Although there's certainly a lot of jokes in it. There are some light moments, yeah. As we'll see, many of the joke lines in the movie are straight out of the book. There are a few, yeah, yeah. You know? But there were also two other reviews that I think are funny for how opposite they are. The London Observer says uh, Dickens' ghosts are too earthly to be real visitors from another world. They seem to think too much of the creature comforts of Christmas, and they have forgotten altogether the higher and holier influences of the season. To place the enjoyment of Christmas time in the mirth and jollity which accompany it, in the beef and poultry and pudding, the games and puzzles and forfeits of the evening fireside, without once advertising to the Christian character of the festival, or to the spirit and peace of conscience which constitute its true and genuine happiness. So, not Christian enough. Right? Not enough Jesus. Man. Right, but, and, right. And but, nothing has changed. Like you, To this day, you have people complaining about the war on Christmas that doesn't mm-hmm. actually right. exist. It, right. it sounds but, like something someone would like write nowadays about yes. anything coming out Christmas related. Yeah. Right, right. But same, same. So that was December 31st, 1843. The day before, December 30th, this was in the magazine of Domestic Economy and Family Review. They said... <laughs> Ever a writer deserved public honors for the service he has rendered to his kind, that man is Charles Dickens. And the Christmas Carol should be read and reverenced in all time to come as a glorious manual of Christian duties. Huh. Weird. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've, I've read the book once a while ago, and I didn't read it thinking, like, this could use more Christianity. And I also didn't read it being like, this has a lot of Christianity. It well, kind of... But- walks in between but i i think it's that same thing that happens now where like one of those reviewers is like this book doesn't talk about jesus enough it's not christian and the other reviewer is like this book is all about helping your fellow man that's that's christian principle that is true, or that is true. like yeah. you know, like read into like this is like the greater you know yeah relevance of like christianity and it is it's all over this book you know so yeah, i guess and right. that's a valid way to celebrate christmas mm-hmm. yeah Totally. But yes, so that's fascinating to me. And then the other thing is uh, the book was published on December 19th, 1843. On February 5th, 1844, so six weeks later, three stage adaptations opened in London. Hmm. Six weeks wow. later. W- one at the Surrey Theater, one at the Strand, which is no, no relation to me, and one <laughs> at the Adelphi Theater. And the Adelphi one was authorized by Dickens. Um, the Strand one sounds fascinating because it says it conveniently reunites Scrooge with Belle at the end. Uh, <laughs> okay. <interesting. laughs> it's really funny. But so three, three, because, and apparently at the time there was no, you didn't have to pay copyright for a stage adaptation. Uh, it was just yeah. like you, could just, you could just do it. Just do um, it weird. Yeah, so there were three that opened six weeks, like in February, not even not even at Christmas time. Six weeks after, like the book came out. After six weeks after the book came out, yes. 
What a fast turnaround. Like, you know, maybe yeah. the one that Dickens approved had some, like, I don't know. They they were able to work with him, maybe. The other one, like, the fact that there were two other ones, though. Yeah, in February, you would think they'd be like, let's wait until next Christmas. <laughs> right, Perfect. right. Right. Well, and then also the the one the script written for the Adelphi Theater, the following Christmas Day, eighteen forty four, opened at the Park Theater in New York City. That same script. Oh, wild! Yeah. So, so one year after the book came out, it was a stage play in New York. Already. I mean, that yeah. makes yeah, that makes a bit more sense at least, though. That although New York, that's a that is a a big jump. So, right. It's 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 a different uh, country, you know. So it's like adaptations, like we talk all the time about how over-adapted this book is. Yeah. Three stage productions six weeks after it came out. It was already over-adapted. Yeah, that, yeah. that's fascinating because yeah. there's, I don't even know how many like movie adaptations, let alone, I've seen stage adaptations of it in my childhood. So, you know, I'm well aware they've made probably s- several stage plays of it that are currently in rotation. So right, that, yeah. it's the, the, cool the to Guthrie learn that's been the case always. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's wild. Um, but so that's 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 all I have to share from the, the annotated <laughs> book today. <laughs> but Julia, we like to ask our guests, you 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 know the drill, you've been here before. What's your experience with this movie? Do you remember the first time you saw it? Uh, and where would you rank it among the Muppet movies? I don't remember the exact first time I saw it, but we definitely if it came out in ninety-two, we had the VHS, and it's one of those movies. I've come from a family where we would watch the same Christmas movies, the the specials we'd tape off of television over and over again every year. And I still am that kind of person that's just stuck with me. And so I, I have probably watched this movie at least once every Christmas time since I would guess I was like three or four, you know, um, I, my mom was an English teacher and she loved Charles Dickens. So I'm sure she was super excited that this movie got made. Cause she was like, Oh, this can introduce my kids to the world of Charles Dickens, but also it's, had, it's got puppets in it. So they'll like it. Um, and this movie is like special to me, I think probably for Muppets take Manhattan. I talked a bit about how that one, like kind of like got me into being really obsessed and interested in the Muppets. Um, this one all was kind of a step before that because I went home for Christmas break and for whatever reason I watched this movie like three times over Christmas break. I just like like re-fell in love with it despite having seen it so many times before and then that led me into then trying out Muppets Take Manhattan and that steamrolled the whole thing into ending up on Tough Bigs and everything. So, uh, And as for ranking... Should have, I knew you guys were going to ask me this, and I should have thought about it before. I mean, it's definitely in the top half for me. It might be in the top, I want to say maybe it's my third or fourth favorite one. I really love this one. It's It's got, like, the music. We're not even really going to get into too much of the music in the next episode, but the music is just stellar all the way through, with the exception of one song that isn't in the cut anymore. Y'all will have your spicy spicy takes on The Love is Gone when you get to it. I'll I'll save that for for later episodes for you guys. But um, the the, the soundtrack is beautiful. I think it's a really good adaptation. I personally think this is the best adaptation of Christmas Carol. It's it stays true to the book, but it's also, it's fun. It's light. It's funny. Uh, it's got Muppets in it, you know, so I'm also a little biased. Um, yeah, I would say probably, oh, I don't know, probably, I might say my number three, honestly, after uh, Muppet, the Muppet Caper and the Muppet movie, it might be this one. 
yeah. Okay. Awesome. In All in this right. moment, yeah. Good top three. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I, that's that's how it goes for me too. I'm switching all the time. I know. So that's it for today. Thank you so much for being here, Julia. Uh, <laughs> listeners, you can check out toughpigs.com on the internet, Facebook, Twitter, all over the place. You can become a patron of ours on Patreon. You can email us at movingrightalong at toughpigs.com with any thoughts about these minutes, stage adaptations of A Christmas Carol, anything you want to share with us. You can follow Ryan on Twitter. At me, Ryan Rowe, you can follow Ryan also on Letterboxd at Movies Are Neat and me on Letterboxd at Zeppo Marxist. Julia, where can our listeners find you? Um, they can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Geek Girl Grown Up. Um, I've got some poetry, both Muppet and not Muppet related, uh, out in the world, which you can just look up Julia Gaskell poetry and that'll pop up on Google. And then I also write for Tough Pigs occasionally, so you can usually find me there at least a few times a year, if not more. Right. Yeah. Honestly, that's me too. I, I, I think <laughs> yeah. you and I have about the same, same rate of output, which is like, I think about how often Ryan and Joe and Jared write for the site. Oh I yeah. I, it's, I have a deep admiration and I, I do not have <laughs> the time to share, share, unfortunately. Right. But anyways, thanks again for being with us today. Thank you to Morgan Davey for creating our logo. And now is always a great time. Everywhere that you find love, you give us a positive review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Tell all your friends to listen to the show. We'll be back next week for another episode of Moving Right Along. Goodbye. Banana peels. <laughs> <laughs>